0: Welcome to The Sounds of Sand, a podcast inquiring
1: into the beauty and mystery of existence beyond ultimate truths.
2: بصوت المسجد وبع الكنيسه فهي من املاكه وبع المؤذن في المزاد الاسود ستضيء درب التائه Harani حتى will صادر يتمنى إذن يا لا من قال أنك ظالم. لا تنذر من قال أنك ماتتي. لا من قال أنك ظالم. لا من قال أنك a man, you are a وأردتني I wanted to live with my heart Don't من قال أنك, ظالم. لا من قال أنك حررت the same أَنْ the end, I'll take it up. الرَّبِيعَ i <تصفيق> أنت الذي دخلت one who is the one who is the one Allahu as-sabbah laji an ya sadi. Allahu
3: as-sabbah
4: laji an ya sadi. Thank you, Hanin. Thank you so much. This is Hanin who is from Gaza, Palestine, and she is an organizer, culture worker, and a singer based currently in Palestine. Um, thank you, Hanin. If you want to say anything about this song so we take it fully in. something about the lyrics, that would be lovely. and um, Or anything, just to bring your voice and we will...
5: Thank you. Um, I just want to say that I'm based in Portugal. I am from Palestine, but I'm based in Portugal now. And the song is it's by the artist, the Palestinian artist in Banna, and it's called "The Absent One." And it's like the lyrics are very powerful. They amplify about uh, the the like that God have become like a refugee. Uh, it speaks about the 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 song, the the children in palestine and the churches in palestine and the, the the power of the people and how when god has become a refugee there there was no there was no chance but to but to amplify with power and hope and resistance And I can say specifically, but in generally speaks about that. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so
4: much. And we will share the lyrics later on with the recording to everyone while you're listening again. So welcome. Welcome, Welcome, everyone. Uh, Thank you for being here today. And exactly, we wanted to check in with you. Please type where you're tuning in today, um, which part of the world and if... If you f- uh, feel inclined to share one word, what is alive for you today? What is what is happening in your heart? Just one word so we all connect in um, this sacred space. And I forgot to mention, my name is Zaya Benazzo, and we are tuning in today from uh, Pomo uh, land and coastal Miwok land in so-called California. Yes,
6: and my name is Maurizio Benazzo. And Zaya, beautiful work, you said it all. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
4: The space.
6: And should we start? I want to introduce Ray, the, our facilitator for this event. Welcome, Ray. Welcome, so let me read a brief bio. Ray Abilea, she, her, is a Jewish faith leader, social change strategist, writer, and facilitator. For the past two decades, she has worked with nonprofits and social movement. Ray graduated from Columbia University with a dual degree in environmental science and human rights and received ordination by the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute. She has led human rights delegation to the West Bank with eyewitness Palestine and visited Gaza for the global peaceful Gaza Freedom March. She's a first generation American, and her Dutch Askenazi Jewish and Israeli ancestry inform her work towards dismantling white supremacy. Ray was raised and currently resides in Ansede, Ramaytush Holone land on the California coast.
4: Sorry, Ray, we couldn't shorten the bio. It was was too hard. (laughs) (laughs) You failed everything important. (laughs) Welcome, and thank you so much for agreeing to. um, to facilitating this conversation and
1: basically- space. So grateful for the invitation. Thank you, Zaya Maurizio. Again, hello, everybody. I'm Ray. As Maurizio welcome, uh, mentioned, I live here on unceded Ramaytush Aloni land. Uh, I just want to give honor to the First Nations and Indigenous peoples where I live and where each of us are tuning in from. If you, like me, are a guest, on the lands where you reside currently. I welcome you into practices of repair, reciprocity, rematriation, um, and reparation with the peoples on the land uh, where you live as appropriate. Um, I'm grateful to be here. And I'm grateful to you both, Zaya and Maurizio, for continuing to literally invite us into your living room. Here we are in your home with you. and. Um, you know, we, I, we gather and we imagine that we're in one shared living room and we have the magic of technology to make us feel that way. But I want to really bring us into our hearts in that way. And that that's really the intention of what we're here to do is to, uh, literally create more space, more room, more connection so we can have more living room, more breathing room, right? For freedom for all people. Um. And I want to presence all these different emotions people are coming in with. And our great poet, Rumi, reminds us that being human is a guest house. So we welcome all those emotions. And we know they're they're guests passing through, right? And I want to just um, put out a reminder. All of us need it. I need it often myself for self-care, for being exquisitely kind to ourselves and to each other in this space. You each have your own tools, and I know those in the SAN network are often therapists and teachers of these tools, right? But it doesn't hurt to have a reminder to use the tools that work best for you if you become triggered or frustrated, challenged, that we can come back to the breath, we can come back to our bodies. I see Zaya there with a glass of water, right? You remember this wisdom that when we drink water, we tell our animal bodies that we're safe, that we're not being hunted or chased or in danger. Right? So you take a glass of water, you take a sip. Right? That water that cools fire. So we welcome being uncomfortable together in this conversation, um, and we welcome vulnerability and heart. And uh, we also know that while we meet on Zoom and have this conversation in this comfort and safety, that there are bombs continuing to drop on our beloved kin that people are starving and disease is spreading right now in Gaza, and that there are still Israeli hostages being held and thousands of Palestinian prisoners being held. And that also that many of us have not had the time to mourn our beloved dead since October 7th and ongoing. And so we want to just take a moment of silence in remembering the beloved dead. Some whose names we might
7: know and many whose names we do not. And we just take a moment to presence them. And coming back to presence together, welcoming the wise well ancestors, the peacemakers,
1: those who have come before us, who have made the way for conversations like this to happen. Today's about listening to journeys of transformation, about change, You know, some of us are out there in the the streets calling for change about many different social issues of our time. But what does it mean when we have a change inside of ourselves and the courage and audacity it takes to share that in this time of truth and needing to live out our truths? So I want to welcome one of our our first person to share here, dear friend Suleiman Khatib. And... Suleiman, you didn't just wake up one day and get nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Your accolades have been hard achieved amidst a life that has included more time in prison than I can begin to imagine. And I want to, rather than introduce your full bio, we'll get a chance to hear about your books later, but give you an opportunity to share your story um, and share with us about your family, the land you that is home to you for so many generations. And your journey to come to sit and be with us today.
3: Uh, thank you, Ray. Thank you, everyone uh, here uh, that joining. And thanks for the team to put this beautiful uh, event together. Just wanna make sure that, just, do you hear me? Like the sound is good? Yes. I'm trying to come closer to the laptop. Um, yeah, thank you. And really, uh, yeah, it's almost hard for me to share about my personal uh, story, while all the, uh, uh, yeah, the war going on in Gaza and also just not far from me, I speak from Ramallah now, uh, people getting killed, also in Tul Karim, since a few days There are in a siege, there are a lot of uh, uh, violence happening right now. Um, Still, I feel also very emotional from uh, Hanin when she was singing because I'm Hanin's really good friend to me, and we're in touch. And her family house was uh, demolished yesterday in Gaza. Was uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, trying to stay strong and grounded in this situation. Um, uh, something here. Okay. Yeah, I, um, as I said, I'm speaking to you from Ramallah. I born in Jerusalem. And my family has lived uh, in a town northeast of Jerusalem, like seven minutes from uh, the city center of Jerusalem. Uh, my family actually was uh, uh, registered and recorded in the Ottomanic uh, records in the 15th century. So I come from very, uh, to say, indigenous family that lived in this land for uh, centuries, and that's the only. Uh, uh, Place that we belong to, like my family, my tribe. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, uh, as many like families around here that really connected to the region, connected to the culture, to the folklore, and to the um, Palestinian story um, of all its sides, uh, the tragedy sides, and the trauma and the Nakba, everything, and also and to the political and to also. Uh, the culture, and I basically was uh, also from my... I started my activism from a young uh, age compared to my generation, maybe, at the time. Uh, I'm almost 52, so people wonder which era we're talking about. um, Yeah, I come from a family that really um, participated in different generations of uh, fighting colonization, like even before Israel, we're talking about the British colonization and before that. So I come from uh, that line. Uh, My older brother was in jail when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, At the time also, I used to play flute. So I also, I don't sing like Hanin, but I played the flute. So I know the um, Palestinian music. And some of it actually was uh, at the time illegal. You can be jailed for six months for having like this kind of music and my generation, um, so yeah, I um, when I was uh, 13, 14, I started my uh, uh, little group uh, to fight the occupation, of course, uh, we're talking about kids, you know, means writing slogans in the wall of free Palestine, raising the Palestinian flag, which was illegal also in my school outside of Jerusalem, um, yeah, throwing stones, training to make a uh, uh, cocktail, a Molotov, Molotov cocktail, you know, the English uh, term. Um, in the end, uh, the Israelis has built um, a big settlement between my village and the city of Jerusalem, where I grew up, where my family grew up, where, uh, you know, this was uh, our daily city life, basically, in Jerusalem. Um, the settlement called B'zgat Zev, and this cut the historical cultural ties between my community and Jerusalem, and uh, so for me personally, um, I, you know, want to um, basically, I was simply like to protect our homeland, like literally to say, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I've been very connected at that time with uh, some uh, young political activists. Uh, so, I had access to some political secret magazines and some books and uh, some uh, leaders at the time. Um, and, uh, like, short story, a little bit, it's a long story. I uh, decided with a friend of mine to attack two Israelis in order to take their weapons in order to use them later on. We tried to have weapons, we couldn't. So, uh, this, I was 14 and 5 months exactly. So we did stab two Israeli soldiers uh, near my town. And this uh, ended up with uh, two Israelis were uh, uh, injured, slightly injured, actually. And we were taken to the jail after a few days. Yeah, so this is my life before jail. And in jail time, I was the youngest prisoner for a while, a political prisoner. Uh, Maybe it's important to mention, uh, for Palestinian prisoners in West Bank. Uh, it's a military law, so it doesn't matter the age, and there's no international law or any rights, basically. Uh, so in jail time, I used to go back and forth to the court. I became 15 years old, and I was sentenced to 15 years in jail. Uh, my, uh, my family's home, uh, my room in my family's home was uh, blocked, cement, with cement and iron for the next uh, 10, 10 years when i was in jail as a family banishment for the family yeah in jail i continue my activism uh, with other prisoners uh, the political prisoners were very organized into different uh, uh, factions so i was uh, affiliated or part of a fatah movement that led by arafat um so we used to have like more than like 10 11 uh, organizations you know popular front uh, uh, popular democracy and so on so many organizations, but the structure in jail, basically we, the Palestinian prisoners have succeeded to build kind of a revolutionary system to say, uh, and part of that in order to improve their daily life in jail, um, adopted our learned by the uh, Irish prisoners, the food hunger strike strategy works very well. So the Palestinian prisoners, we learned that from Ireland um, Just to give a credit back. Um, Yeah, so my first hunger strike, I was 15 with um, 120 kids. I was living with teenagers underage. We had a food hunger strike for uh, 16 days. Uh, We used to call it in Arabic, Mayumel, means salt and water. Um, Because we don't eat at all, we drink a lot of water and little salt to stay alive. Yeah, so this is uh, my first hunger strike. And basically, uh, we usually demand like uh, uh, 30 demands or 25 demands of uh, improving the conditions in jail. And we all succeed. The last hunger strike was uh, uh, for 17 days with 4,000 prisoners. All prisoners across jails. We coordinated the hunger strike uh, and we succeed. So people used to join the hunger strike by choice, just... This is important to mention. And uh, um, of course, it's uh, the hardest time in jail, I have to say. The time becomes very slow, your body becomes very skinny, uh, some people die, of course, a um, lot of sicknesses. And there's a lot of strategies that the Israeli administration of the jail, the police would use to break the hunger strike, to move leaders from jail to other jail, and punishment, and so many other strategies and uh, we don't maybe have time to come to uh, call them all. Uh, but for me, like uh, this was a, a life transformation experience, and that's how I got to learn about nonviolence. Uh, yeah, and the power of nonviolence and the choice of nonviolence as a choice, not out of weakness. And a lot of things, you know, I maybe you mentioned Rumi, uh, Ray, so I'm happy that you mentioned Rumi because I I was not a religious person, to say. Most of the prisoners, actually. Uh, But there were some spiritual uh, practices and cultural practices from our uh, indigenous culture that really helped us stay strong in jail. For example, I spent some time alone in jail, like in a... uh, What do you call it in English? Like... As a punishment, like...
1: Confinement?
3: Yeah, like a a cell alone for punishment. Also, the investigation time include a lot of torture, like physical and psychological torture. So not easy. I was there when I was like 14 and a half, 15. So, um, yeah, you need to stay strong. Uh, That's not a simple thing uh, when you are alone and uh, isolated from the other prisoners. So, you know, like songs like They Can Jail Our Bodies, They Can Jail Our Souls. I'm sure Haneen knows this, uh, of Kawar. So, they're like these kind of songs that I grew up with, these like uh, uh, revolutionary uh, songs. Um, So, during the jail time, I spent 10 years and five months in jail, basically my teenager time. Um, And as I said, I was very active uh, in jail also to. one, we, we did a lot of uh, uh, strategies of uh, using our time in jail to learn about other like uh, revolutions in the world. And it's really important for me to mention that jail is not a peace academia, But we do learn about uh, different, you know, I, I know about uh, the Nelson now speaking about South Africa and the court. The, just important to mention Nelson Mandela is a very important figure for Palestinian prisoners at the time and still. Uh, and, of course, we, know, we learn about uh, uh, the African-American struggle, the uh, Indian and uh, other uh, history of colonization and revolutions and so on. Uh, so, basically, we used to have, like, a few sessions in jail among the prisoners, and this was illegal by the Israelis. But prisoners were talk about students, and everyone is teaching something to the other uh, prisoners. Um, as I said, we used to call it a revolutionary university. Um, um, uh, yeah, so through my jail time experience, I have to say, uh, um, yeah, I studied um, as much as I could. I worked in the library for some time. Uh, also I know Hebrew from home a little bit because I live around Jerusalem. Um, and I, uh, studied Hebrew also, uh. Yeah, and that also gives me, like, to see a different perspective of the story, uh, of course. Um, I just maybe want to mention, because also for people here, it's, uh, yeah, I come from a very strong, like, uh, rooted family uh, to the land. Like, uh, I grew up with the story, I'm very committed uh, to my family, and it's really not easy to have to, uh, honestly, you know, like to still grounded in your own truth and also open your soul, your heart to, to what we call the other side, the enemy. That's the big uh, shit to say. Sorry for my language. And so for me, it was a long, long journey. Uh, and also I come from a tribal family. means like that they still practice uh, all the tribal system of reconciliation, forgiveness, um, community life, like all the things I believe in the Sand community and other communities, maybe in in California, I know uh, other places, people are talking about this. I come from this exact type of uh, family with differences, like a very local practices. So in my family, I mean, like there's the forgiveness is a very important element and value in our moral value. So I really believe uh, this was big, important in my uh, story. Uh, And I want to say maybe as we are talking about the global uh, teaching and learning, it's very important really to connect the global teaching to the local culture. Uh, And I believe this is one of the only uh, strategies that can work for any future, you know, solutions um, that can really uh, use this ancient wisdom that's still here in the place. Anyway, because of the time I'm, uh, so we'll jump to after jail. Yeah, basically also, I I start to search with other friends also, how do we uh, stay connected to our cause, to our uh, legitimate freedom and liberation, the need of our liberation and need of freedom, and also uh, finding like alliances in what we call the other side, basically. And after my jail time, I heard with other friends uh, about Israeli refusal that refused to serve uh, in the army after being in the army, just to say. And we, yeah, through a friend, we communicate with each other in the Second Intifada. Uh, yeah, in, uh, in search for, like, uh, different solutions. Uh, and basically, we agreed, like, we met secretly for, like, almost a year of secret meetings illegally and of course this is not a mainstream idea uh, of course and so we had agreed on like uh, adopting like nonviolent struggle against the occupation and um, uh, that was not easy like basically what we call in some um, beautiful ideas like love the enemy and this kind of ideas, like the first time I read about like, this love, the enemy, I was 15. I was in jail. It's not something simple, but I want to say this also touched something deep in my heart. And I believe everyone is hard because we, we are not born good and bad people. I don't believe in this. Uh, we carry everything. Uh, and I feel also the ability to, I mean, despite our dynamic, of course, and the history and the trauma, I come from a very strong, like, uh, grounding place that I am able also to show empathy to the, you know, as from the oppressor side. That's a big, not easy thing to do, but I also feel my heart is open. Totally, I never lose that. Um, And I don't believe, like, um, practically, to be strategic. Also, like, to be just right. Um, I need something that can work as Palestinian. Um, so to speak about it, let's say from a comfort place, from a privileged place is a very different story. My family is still and I myself, of course, my family still, they live in outside of Jerusalem. My family land was taken in 2006, seven, when they, built, half of it, when they built the separation wall, my father got heart attack, um, I was telling Hanina about this uh, yesterday because her family house was uh, attacked like, by Israelis and destroyed in Gaza, and we talked about it. It's not the money, part. it's like the the olive tree in front of the house the, where she grew up, where the childhood, the memories. And I told her I have really something similar, different, because we had uh, some olive trees we call trumani, which is from old, old, old uh, days. And the army has allowed us to uproot them, to take them to the house, and we replant them. And this was a heartbreaking for all my family. Uh, it's not easy, like you're taking the soul, the heart of, of, of a person. Uh, but, you know, lately, I just uh, was there uh, a week ago, next to my family, and I see these uh, uh, trees are uh, born again, like they have new branches. And that gives me a lot of hope and uh, adrenaline, I never lose hope. Despite everything, and since, uh, yeah, since uh, my out, since I've been out of jail, the small jail, we are now in a big jail. Uh, fortunately I'm very active in uh, the struggle like, for freedom and for liberation, for justice, and also uh, for healing, and also to humanize everyone. I'm against the system, but I'm against dehumanizing any group of humans. That's basically. And I really, as I said, uh, uh, I feel our freedom is connected. Like, that's what I feel, practically, morally. I don't want to say harm to anybody, uh, basically. And now it's it's the the challenge and the test. And I finish here. It's maybe easy to speak about values when we are in comfort zone. But honesty to speak, and to practice these values when it's tested, like now. That's like the real thing. And I will come to live uh, our truth fully also now or anytime. And I feel this is uh, also another way, one of the best uh, moments I live as activist also. I feel, I see that freedom is coming. Thank you.
1: Inshallah, may it be so, that freedom is coming. Thank you, Suli, for your potent words, for bringing us into your story, to your land, with your family, the intimacy of that. And I know it's not nothing to go back in time and to tell the story of being in jail is also to relive it away. And so the the fortitude it takes to do that um, and the responsibility that we have listening to your story um, and you're very humble to kind of fast forward through what happened in those years after you had those initial meetings with the refuseniks. People might not be aware, but Israel has a conscription, right? A mandatory military service. So when we talk about refusers, these are people who are going against the law to refuse to serve in the military. Uh, and and that you've co-founded Combatants for Peace, uh, and also the Al-Quds Association for Democracy and Dialogue and, and the many achievements you've had in this journey of continuing to see what, what flowers can we plant that will blossom into freedom. So just really a debt of gratitude to you and and your work. And I'm just wanting us to take a moment, let your words land in that we've just heard and witnessed or witnessed, right? Um and
7: the words of that song, they can jail our bodies. They cannot jail our souls. Mm. And I want to invite us now to turn to hearing another story that of
1: a new friend in the struggle for collective liberation, metal, and um, Mital Yaniv, you have just written a beautiful book called Bloodlines. Many of us are schlepping it around, carrying it in our bags. It's a kind of a ancestral journey of healing, of, we say in Hebrew, tikkun, of repair. Um, would love to welcome you to share with us a bit about your story as someone who was born in Israel, as an Israeli who has gone through that military training um, and had embodied experience of dissonance with that and to share what feels most resonant, resonant for you about your story today with us. Thank you for being with us.
7: Thank you so much. Um, Suli, thank you so much for all the details shared and feeling felt. And I'm just holding those
0: olive trees and, and the, the lineages
7: and the prayers that they um, maintain. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ray. Thank you to the SEND team. Thank you to everyone who's um,
0: listening. Um, I am going to start by reading a paragraph from Bloodlines um, that will um, help with how we got here. And then I'll go, we're going to time travel a little bit. Um, But yeah, I'm going to start with this paragraph. I came out of my mother's body naked. After they cleaned the blood and residues of life being made, they buttoned and zipped the army uniform on my infinite, infinite body. This uniform is significant. You never outgrow it. You never wash it. It is sown to move with you, like second skin, like purpose. Wherever you go, it is upon you, awaiting orders. My conception is my indoctrination into soldierhood, raised by my blood state family. This is a collective measure upheld by all fraction of society. A soldier's identity and mentality is something you are groomed for and then you become it. That shape doesn't leave you when you leave the army. You need to consciously decide to leave your own identity behind. And that is a a disorienting process of patience and grief. It is a departure from something your body knows as home. In a typical Israeli family, everyone who is under 17 is being groomed and brainwashed to become a soldier. Everyone between 17 and 21 is an active soldier. Everyone between 21 and 49 is a reserve soldier. Everyone above 49 is raising soldiers. The uniform fabric that is placed on our infinite body stretches until an armor is covering the whole of us. My uniform armor has penetrated all of my senses and has provided me with belonging, coordinates, orientation and safety. Shedding it is the tearing of my own skin and I can only break free at the pace of my nervous system, pace of my breath. The butterfly teaches me the way, eating their own shedding to grow stronger inside the cocoon. The stronger they grow, the more pain they endure as their body pushes against the edges. They eat their own shit to become until by force of creation, of life, they break free and fly. It is a process of trusting without knowing. When I cross paths with a butterfly, I sing to them, you made it. It is an act of conscious recognition, of gratitude for the deep medicine they share. I eat each piece of shit removed from my body. I eat the shit to transmute the toxin into freedom digesting and offering it back to the earth. Each bite cracks my spine into deeper alignment, chewing slowly.
7: Nothing true is immediate. Nothing true is immediate. Nothing true is immediate." So um, to give some more context
0: and nuance, um, I was um, born in Tel Aviv um, in 1984, um, I, my family lines, I have um, an Ashkenazi line from Poland uh, that survived World War II uh, and moved to the newly established so-called Israel in um, 1949, when my dad was one years old. Um, I have an Arab Jewish line that is from Palestine, from Jerusalem, Sephardic Jewish. Um, and I have a grandmother from Greece who's also Sephardic. And those two lines met in the 30s. Both of my grandparents were recruiters for the Lehi. For those who don't know, Lechi is a known Jewish terrorist organization that was fighting the British of the land of Palestine, um, and very Zionistic. Um, And and in those lines, I have fallen soldiers and famous Mossad agents and um, Air Force commanders and the like. So I was raised in an extremely Zionistic right wing family. Um, and was bred to continue the line. Um, I grew up in Tel Aviv in a very specific kind of um, dissociated detachment where um, anything that has to do with Palestinian struggle, Palestinian existence, Palestinian land was completely non-existent, removed. Everything that existed was an enemy. That if I don't become strong to protect my grandparents, that enemy will destroy us. That enemy did not have a name, did not have um, a shape, a form. It was an enemy. Um, And yeah, when I was 18, I voted for Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, because that's what I was expected to do and joined the army and I was in the air force after six months of service I hate calling it a service after six months of being in the um, military um, my base moved from Tel Aviv to the southern part of um, historic Palestine and um, I was asked to send planes to fuel planes that were going into Gaza. Um, I'm assuming they were F-16s and this was 2002. And right after that mission, um, we were moved back to the base. I puked on the way back. And the next day I had to come to have a shift in the base for the weekend. And I had my first panic attack on the in the entry to the base and I couldn't enter. I had to come the next day and stand trial, I was grounded to the base. And in those three weeks of being grounded to the base, it became very clear to me that I need to leave the army. Uh, there was no way for me to stay. And that knowing that breakage of everything I knew that I'm supposed to be for the sake of my grandparents, Like, that's how this indoctrination works. It's not, it's, you have to defend your grandmother. And this is the only way you can defend her. It's through love. It's through belonging and love that this brainwash really washes all of you. Um, Yeah, and in those three weeks, I wanted to kill myself because I couldn't imagine living not in this way that my body was not able to. And yeah, I was 19. I left the army um, disgracefully. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do, just in terms of no one wants you to do it. So they make it very hard. Um, and yeah, and that started a process that I will be in for the rest of my life. I am currently residing on Kuya Tongva, Luciano and Serrano lands on Turtle Island. Been in Turtle Island for about 11 years now. Um, and and this book Bloodlines that I've read from is um, a prayer to bring the Israeli identity and Israeli state to a loving and caring death and um, I say that from a place of of personal experience personal process, personal healing and personal liberation um, I was raised very Israeli, very Tzabar uh, very not Jewish, which is also a very common thing. And I'm returning to my Sephardic and Ashkenazi lines as a form of healing. And the interesting thing for me is that the more I delve into these practices, that again, like also my Sephardic line has been so assimilated, Latino was not taught to us. Um, and when I return to these practices, when I return to my Arab Jewish lineages, those values, those Jewish values, really do not match with Zionism. Like they, they cannot coexist. Um, and, and that is a very profound, just in the thought of what, how Jewishness is being used and how um, anti-Zionism is being um, merged with anti-Semitism. Like when you look at, when you're holding those values, those Asian values, they actually do not match with each other. And I say to bring the Israeli identity and state to a loving and caring death and wrote this book as a prayer for it, because I, I really do not believe that this shape we were given as an identity can exist in a free Palestine. And I don't think we're free in it. So I am today standing here, sitting here as um Someone asked me the other day if I'm a self-hating Jew, and I said that I'm a self-loving Jew for the first time in my life. Um, And I stand here from that place of a deep connection to the land. Like when I'm on the land of Palestine, there are parts of my body that get nourished, that don't get that nourishment anywhere else in those waters, in this land, in those roots, with those olive trees. And I'm also prepared to leave the land if that is what is needed for the land to heal. Um, I believe that we need to bring this identity to a death without anyone giving us the knowing of what's next and without us planning for what's next. Because once we are planning for what's next, it's already contaminated with what we're trying to undo. So I'm really this book is a dedication for us to do the healing that we need right now to imagine otherwise and really show up for the healing of the land, for the freedom of the land with no um, with no attachment, it cannot be from shame, it cannot be from guilt, it cannot be from punishment. Um, it must be from a place of love
7: and humility. Um, yeah, that's, I think, what wants to be shared right now. Thank you. Thank you, Maital, for your courage, for sharing your story and for giving us the gift of this book,
1: Bloodlines, which uh, for friends who might not know is literally hot off the press, I think about a week and a half ago. Um, you refer to you, yourself as a death laborer tending to a prayer for the liberation of the land of Palestine and the lands of our bodies. Uh, just reconnecting us to the homeland and our bodies. So just welcoming us to continue to drink water, to be in our bodies as we're in this conversation. And there's a conversation you both are having. And I wanna just acknowledge at this moment in the conversation, the systemic injustice in the room. Sometimes when I facilitate, I bring a small elephant to remind us of the elephant in the room. So I just wanna presence that, that what it means, the relative risk for each of us to speak and take part in a conversation like this can't be understated. Um, and uh, the, that that there's that power imbalance, right? And um, how hard then it is, uh, you know, to undo the learning that says, oh, we can just coexist. It's so easy. Let's just all love each other rather than understanding the systemic oppression. For me, that's been such a a long journey to unpack. And and I appreciate the ways you're both speaking to that so much. I wonder if you might share with us a bit about what it means to heal
7: the land, what the land needs to heal, as informed by ancestral wisdom. Uh,
3: Please. I'm still uh, really inspired by Mitel and uh, get emotional. please go ahead.
7: Um, hmm. I think first of all, just the 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 place where we understand that um, the land and the land of our body is the same land, and when we Uproot an olive tree, and when we murder a child in the West Bank in Gaza, a person, a
0: being, a human being on the land of Palestine, we're hurting the land. And, And the land misses the wisdom of the olive tree and the wisdom of the human being in the same way. And we feel it in the same way. So just that understanding that we're not separated um, from those lands and that our body is actually in constant communication, that we choose. Again, I, I was trained to cut that communication off because with that communication, I can't not be an IDF soldier with that communication on. It cannot be. Um, so I think I really Um, in this moment, I want to invite people that share identities with me, Israeli, Jewish, to really find humility and, and say, we don't know what the land needs. We are living in our wildest imagination right now, and it's horrific for the land and everyone that lives there, including ourselves. So we don't know what the land needs. But we are willing to show up to the healing within our body so that we can show up for the healing that will be asked of us on the land. And again, as I said earlier, it cannot be from a place of shame and guilt and punishment. It has to be from true humility of of getting to a place of like, you used to live in this neighborhood I live now. Here's the keys to my home. Would you like me to plant a tree in your backyard? Like, what will it take for us to say that? Not again because someone told us to or because we are punished to, but because we want to. Because we understand that that is the healing of us. Lineages, backward, forward, the land, all those roots inside the land that are burning. I really, in this book, I invite us constantly to go to the undercurrent, like under the occupation, under Gaza right now. Under those waters, there's so many roots there that we are connected to that we are destroying with each bomb that we're dropping. So so to really understand that that destruction of human life is a destruction of the land and the destruction of the land and the uprooting of trees and the, the, the uprooting of entire tribal lineages, what the Bedouin people are going through on the land, like we are destroying ourselves. We're destroying a
7: connection with ourselves. Yeah.
3: Yeah, maybe, thank you, Mital. Uh, yeah, maybe to add, maybe one thing I learned in my family, uh, our like ancestors, not a long time ago, used to say we belong to the land we don't own the land. This is a modern concept of owning land and selling and buying land. So I think, um, or I feel, yeah, this uh, idea that uh, we could separate ourselves from the land um, is like, uh, anyway, and the capitalistic system around the land is is a a non-healthy system anyway. Um, I can see in my mom generation, Uh, where this old uh, ancient like uh, the connection to the land and to the trees and to the nature and to uh, the whole elements to the medicine to the seasons um, was very natural actually. My aunt she's 95 she's the oldest in my family and actually like you know now we look at the telephone to see the weather for example so she she just look at her fingers and she does something. I, I don't know even how to do it, to be truth. Uh, and she will tell you if the, like, what day are we, when is the moon coming, is it full moon, is it half moon? There is also fasting with the moon. Like the circle of life is very natural. That's really, to be modest and honest, is more my mom generation. Not even to say my generation and the younger one. Um uh, I just want to say also, also as much as we hear like theories of claiming ownership of the land, actually, if you just drive a little bit around here in West Bank, with, uh, which is really, I traveled a lot in my life. It's very beautiful and very spiritual and very, I'm very connected to it. And it's uh, a powerful energy here. Um, the settler movement has really destroyed the beauty and the ecosystem here, to, totally, I, where I grew up, like, between Jerusalem and Jericho and the desert, I'm a desert person. Uh, the valley is the history, the underneath the land and the water system where I learned to swim when I was a child. It's, it's all destroyed by settlers, like, really, and capitalistic uh, practices, to say.
7: Yeah. Thank you. So much for connecting us to ancestors, land,
1: bodies, this interconnectedness, uh, that there's no separation, that there's a a Western thought, right? I used to go to UN conferences on man and the environment, right? what a what a silly idea. Thank you both so much for allowing us to witness and be in the witness with you both uh, after hearing so many stories of transformation, I know that it comes with a responsibility that we carry your story forward, that we do something, that we uh, be someone, be that light in the world. Um, We are sharing some links in the chat to resources that we will also share with the recording in the email follow up that you will get. Um, I want to encourage you to make a donation to support the organization's. Working to support those on the front lines who are the most hungry, the most in harm's way. The organization we're lifting up today is Save Gaza's Children. And this is one way you can show your reciprocity, right? Um, and you can receive that link also in the follow up. Um, you know, Maital mentioned that they used half of their book, more than half their book is a list of names. Can you carry just one name with you? of someone who has died in the last three months of this ongoing nightmare and create space in your daily life to grieve. Because we know that without grief, we can't show up for the real peace work, right? And be be, be in that wholeness. Uh, and then it's, it's my job to encourage you to join us in taking action in whatever way, wherever you can. Every single phone call to a lawmaker, every single sign, every single conversation, every post, every poem, every kite flown. We never know which thing will make the difference toward that collective liberation that we are talking about, but it's, it all matters. You know, uh, and we hear that consistently from my friends in the United States. We have a disproportionate responsibility right now because the weapons have our address on them. They come from our country. So um, thank you to all of you for what you're already doing and what you will do. I want to say a deep bow of gratitude to everyone who has helped to co-create this, especially to Zaya and Riccio for weaving the basket of this community so beautifully, uh, and to everyone, Sarah and Stacy and Lisa, who are behind the scenes making magic happen so we can be in this digital living room together. And uh, there's more opportunities to be in conversation. I wish for more opportunities to answer all of the questions that have Come in in this beautiful Q&A portal. Thank you all for raising your hand, for saying, I'm curious. I want to learn. I want to be in conversation. Keep raising your hand. Keep asking and keep reaching out to one another. Of course, you don't need me to remind you to keep drinking water, to resource, to try to, if you can today, if you're able, get outside after this gathering and connect with some aspect of the nature where you are. Right. And and let it compost to the earth. Give it to the earth. Whatever doesn't serve you, whatever you need to let go of,
7: so that we can keep doing this work together. Thank you. Appreciate you sending so much love to everyone. So much. Thank you everyone for this
4: heartwarming conversation we all need this space where we can be together uncomfortable like tao invited us and together that's not an easy task so we hope to continue this is not going to be the last conversation and stay together in these spaces so we can learn from one another and Thank you, everyone who joined. Thank you, Santin, Lisa, Stacy, Sarah. And thank you, Suli. Uh, it's been such a pleasure meeting you, meeting you in Ramallah a year ago. And that has opened a, a journey for us as well with the film and just a huge learning um, that's continuing every day now. And thank you, Meta, for bringing, birthing this beautiful book so timely. I read every day from your book and I weep and I cry and I connect to um, the the mother that is holding all of this and us. And thank you, Ray, for holding this beautiful, um, not container, there must be a more poetic word. You said. Vessel. So, yeah, to be together and thank you for your incredible work, your incredible activist work that you do daily to make a difference, for liberation, Mm
6: -hmm.
4: for the oppressed and the oppressor, like Suli said.
6: Yeah, And thank you each and every one of you because uh, it takes strength and courage to be able to stay here in the discomfort and feeling our grief, feeling our pain and and so it's an honor to be in circle with all of you. You're all welcome in our living room at any time. Come back
4: and may we let our hearts continue to break. I think that's the yeah. there's no way that that's the only way not to avoid this the pain and the suffering. Thank you, Hanin. I don't know if you're still with us for your beautiful voice and bringing the music. And maybe we'll have a conversation with Hanin next. We'll see (laughs) what's possible.
0: And thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, Please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAN content, available exclusively to SAN members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. And share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.